Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome, Renegades. Welcome. I'm excited for this week, Eleni. We're going to get a little a little personal with your, well, this week and next week. Yes. With kind of your week. journey, and I and I want to know all about it from your side. Yes. So tell, tell the people what I'm talking about. Parts, parts. <laughs> Parts one and two. Okay, so for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about hormone health and fertility. Mm-hmm. Woo! And 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 don't, like, I want to approach the topic in a way that it's not just for people who are trying to conceive. It's fertility in the sense of, like, a healthy menstrual cycle, healthy hormone balance. Mm, yes. All of the things that women and men need, whether they're trying to conceive a child or not. And then next week, we'll tell my and Christopher's story of our journey through infertility and getting pregnant and everything that's happened so far. So. Oh, yes, because spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. Like, since you've had trouble, and now you are pregnant, am, which is yes. really beautiful and yes, neat. Yes. And that's something that we'll go through that story, which is really touching. Um, but then for today, we can go through some of the specifics. So, yes. yeah. Yes, so today is more of an emphasis on hormone health. And getting a healthy hormonal balance, healthy cycle for women. Um, And then next week, we'll be dealing more on the infertility side of things. Although I'll also talk about infertility today and some of the tests that you can do and yeah, all that. Now, is this a little bit of like like a trigger warning for some listeners? Would you have been, okay, mm. when you were still in the infertility side of your journey, would you have felt maybe like a little hurt listening? Or for our listeners? Good like, question. What's a, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Okay. I think it can be a trigger warning because okay. especially next week when I share my story, we'll talk about our miscarriage and our journey through infertility, which for okay. anybody who's been through those things yeah. can be that could stimulate some hard yeah. yeah some hard feelings but I I also think f- so for us it took us three years to get pregnant and I know that for me during that journey um when I heard the stories of other women who had struggled to conceive okay. it was really inspirational for me and gave me hope okay so okay. hopefully that's what I can create for anybody who's listening who's currently going through infertility or is worried about infertility. Yeah. Um, hopefully rather than it being triggering, yeah. it brings you hope and it brings okay. you some peace and it brings you some reassurance. Yes. And it gives you some some steps you can take and some action items you can act on. Because for me, I know yeah. the like worst part of infertility is feeling helpless yeah. or hopeless yes. or feeling like... yes. You're There's nothing you can do about yes. it. Right, right. Yes, and that you're stuck. So my goal with the two episodes from today and next week are to help get you unstuck okay. and give you some steps and some things you can do. And also to convey the sense of trust that comes with having things be out of your hands. <laughs> Fair. Because <laughs> that was a big this part of the life. journey too. <laughs> yes, yes. It feels a lot like life. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So hopefully giving you some control and also helping you deal with not being in control. Yeah. Which for me were both yeah. things I, I had to navigate. Yep, yep. And there's something beautiful about the connection and community in that in any struggle of life is right. to know someone else is in it. We can do it. We share anyway. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so 
with that in mind, yes, if it is hard for you, if you're at a place in your journey where it is hard for you to hear other women's success stories and getting pregnant, which I totally understand, then hopefully you can just listen to this first episode where I'll give you all the tests that are important to do, all the things you can check, and then you can save listening to our personal story for a time when your heart is more prepared for it. Yeah, fair. Yep. But for me, I never had, it's it's like one of the most messed up things I think about infertility. It's yeah. like, I never had a hard time hearing the story of a woman who had also struggled. It was hearing women's stories for whom it was really easy. <laughs> okay, yeah. That like triggered me or that I just couldn't handle emotionally. So it, okay. it was- This is human nature. <laughs> human nature. <laughs> it, it turns you into like a monster. Like you're like, wow, I feel like an awful person because I'm happy for this person who had to struggle for it. it a but I'm up. just not happy for this person who yeah. didn't have to struggle for it. Even though you wouldn't ever like wish that journey on right. anybody. Right. Like, And you right. know that like in your brain. Right. You're like, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. But at the same time, when people have it easy, you're just like... Yep, the little monster in you gets uh, gets out of hand. (laughs) Yes. And by the way, that's okay and that's normal. And it's okay. I was going to say, that's just our humanness. That's all all part of growth and getting through it and handling the hardship. yeah. Yeah, and I'll talk about that emotional side too when we get into our personal story um, and just hopefully remove some of the feelings of guilt and condemnation that women and men who are struggling with infertility feel about the whole process. So yeah. hopefully yeah. I'll, I'll help you deal with the emotional and mental health aspects of it as well yes. as the physical health yes. aspects of it. Yep. Wow. Sounds deep. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Dive right in. Okay. So this is, I, mean, I think I'm going to call this our fertility files. Oh, I like that. Fertility files. So this one is part one, hormone health and mm. infertility. Mm. The second one will be Fertility Files Part 2, Navigating Unexplained Infertility, mm. Christopher and Eleni's Story. Mm. Don't hold me to those titles. They might change when I'm typing them up, but that's what I'm They're real right good, now. though. Well, I, like them. I like them. <laughs> Sometimes I, I like feel inspired, and then as I'm typing it into like Anchor to upload the episode, I'm like, I don't like I'm that. I'm re-inspired. Okay. Re-inspired. Okay. Well, so we're sharing this episode, as I said, because we're kind of inspired by my journey and what we've been through, my husband and I, over the last three years or so, um, as well as the journeys of many women mm-hmm. I have come to know while traveling through our fertility adventures um, and the community of people I've gotten to know and a lot of their stories. So that's what inspired these episodes and some of the advice that I'm offering too, because I learned a lot not just from our own journey. I learned a lot from reading other women's stories and things that they did and tried that I hadn't thought of. So I'm sharing it all today. So this episode, like I said, is for all couples and individuals, whether they are trying to become pregnant or not, because a lot of this episode has to do with hormone health and cycle health for women. And I'm not getting into it on a super, super deep level, but we're beginning our adventure into it. I'd like to leave the super, super deep level for our fertility experts, which I don't consider myself (laughs) (laughs) an expert, um, simply just somebody who's very experienced in it. But I would like to save it. We're hoping, fingers crossed, to have Mm. Lisa Hendrickson Jack on our episode Yep. uh, to talk about female hormone health and fertility health and cycle health, as well as maybe Lara Bryden. Those are some of the women that have inspired me during my journey. So I'm going to leave the detailed details up to them, but this is going to be a rough overview. Mm. 
So regardless of where you are at in your own journey, one of the most important things for all women is to know their cycle. So whether you want to be a mom or not, Mm -hmm. or you are already a mom, Mm -hmm. knowing and understanding your cycle and caring about your cycle health is really important. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. a couple of my recommended resources, Mm -hmm. um, Lara Bryden's book, The Period Repair Manual, is a really great resource for troubleshooting any period problems, which if you don't know whether you have period problems, you will know by the end of this episode. Okay. <laughs> and then Lisa Hendrickson's Jack book, Lisa Hendrickson Jack's book, The Fifth Vital Sign, which is also related to menstrual health, cycle health, hormone health, knowing your cycle, using your cycle as a report card. So um, your period for women is a health report card. So a period is not just a period, it's an expression of your underlying health. So when you are healthy, your menstrual cycle should arrive smoothly, regularly, and without symptoms. Okay. Anything outside of that experience is an unhealthy cycle. But Eleni, mm-hmm. everyone in the world or in America has cramps and moodiness and all the things. That's actually just what TV and movies portray. It's oh. not true and it's not actually normal, regardless of the fact that it's common. Oh, got it. Got so it. a little bit of PMS and discomfort is to a degree like so common it kind of blurs the lines between mm. normal and not normal. Yes. Because our hormones fluctuate throughout our cycle. So at the beginning of our cycle, our progesterone is really low. Our estrogen is higher. As we move into the second half of our cycle, after we ovulate, progesterone rises really sharply and estrogen tends to drop a little bit. And so those fluctuations in hormones can just make our bodies feel a little bit off Mm -hmm. as the normal fluctuations. But things like menstrual cramping, moodiness, irritability, those are all signs that your hormones are not working together in harmony. And they're not actually normal, although they are common. And they are pretty like, they're really normalized by our culture and by society, mostly because (laughs) for a long time within the medical profession, it was mostly men who didn't understand anything about cycle health. Yes. Yes. And just treated women like they were emotional, hysterical creatures. Yeah, PMS. PMS, yeah, they're PMS and it just got blown off, right? But it's actually not... It's, it's not a sign of a healthy cycle if you're having a lot of PMS, if you're having a lot of moodiness, if you're having like swings from one day to the next of joy and then depression and then anger and then irritability and then joy. Like that's not a normal. Okay. That's not normal. That's kind of cool to know. Be like, okay, well, you don't have to like, like struggle through that. Like Mm-mm. you can be normalized where you don't feel that. Like yeah. you feel normal. Or you can handle the emotional changes yeah. and fluctuations better because you know what your body is doing mm. underneath the surface, which is one reason why I think knowing your cycle is so important for women because then you're not just subject to the emotional fluctuations from day to day. Mm. You actually know what's going on in your cycle so you can be better prepared to handle it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I just ovulated and now I'm in my luteal phase and normally for a day or two I feel kind of irritable. Like, yeah. then you can navigate that versus being a victim to yeah. it. So. Yeah. Um, when you are unhealthy in some way, your menstrual cycle tells the story. So mm-hmm. your period should come regularly, first mm-hmm. of all, 
which can be anywhere from every 21 days to every 35 days with only a one to two day variation between cycles. That is actually what is healthy and normal. Mm. So if you are like the average healthy follicular phase, which is the first half of your cycle prior to ovulation, should be anywhere from 10 to 16 days. That's kind of a a normal, healthy follicular phase. There's some variation outside of that that's okay. Some women just do tend to have shorter or longer cycles. But in general, 10 to 16 days is a healthy follicular phase. Okay, wait. Let's go through the four weeks really fast. Okay, so the first phase is menstruation. I'm literally doing that right now. Okay, good, good, good. Because my brain needs to understand the full picture. Okay, let's do it. So your menstruation kicks off the beginning of your cycle. So I'll get into that in a second. Okay. Um, The average healthy luteal phase, which is the phase that comes after ovulation. Okay. So follicular phase is before ovulation, luteal phase is after. Because the eggs are in the follicles. Is that, I mean, like how is that the word? Yeah, that's a good way to, Okay, okay. So it's follicle time. It's follicle time. Yep. Okay. Yes, and then luteal phase. I th- what does luteal mean? So I think luteal literally means like yellow body. Okay. Which just describes what the corpus luteum looks like after you ovulate. Sounds it kind of looks like, yeah, like a yellow globe. <laughs> okay, okay. I guess. Yeah, okay. I'm not entirely sure no, the origin right. of that, but. Yeah. But yes, so follicular phase is okay. just after menstruation, before okay. ovulation. All right. And should be about 10 to 16 days. The average healthy luteal phase, which is the second half of your cycle prior to menstruation, after ovulation, should be around 11 to 16 days. That's a healthy cycle length. So if you have a 25 to 27 day cycle, Mm -hmm. and it ranges from 25 days to 27 days every month, that is a healthy cycle frequency okay likewise having something like 34 days to 36 days anything within that is healthy or if you had like 21 days to 23 days so you see it shouldn't be something like like a 23 day cycle one month and then a 36 day cycle the next month Mm -hmm. and then a 23 day cycle and then a 38 day cycle and then a 42 day cycle Mm -hmm. and then a 20 day cycle that's the kind of variation that is not healthy. So when you have those, while some women, it can just be normal for them to have 21-day cycles, that's fine if they're consistent with it. Okay. But it's not healthy to be jumping from one mm-hmm. to the other. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'll get into menstruation as well and what length that should be, but that's kind of its own section. So just covering the phases of the cycle. So your cycle, the first day of your cycle, the way you count the first day of your cycle is the first day of menstruation. Okay. So that's not spotting. That's actual flow. Okay. So if you spot for a couple of days before your period, that doesn't count as your period. Your period counts when you have actual flow. I didn't know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. That'll help my numbers. Yeah, yeah. So the first day of flow is the first day of your period. Okay. And then you number the days until your next period. Okay. So that's how long your cycle is. If you don't track anything else, like that's a good starting point. At least baseline here. Baseline is tracking your period and knowing how many days your cycles are. But there's a lot of advantages to knowing what's happening during your cycle and what phase you're in, and I'll get into that in a in a bit. But 
If you are having consistently inconsistent cycles, so Mm -hmm. if you're one of those people who's fluctuating from 21 days one month to like 42 days the next, that can usually be a sign of PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is can be accompanied by that menstrual irregularity um, or could be a luteal insufficiency. So for women that have... Uh, luteal insufficiency, usually that's like an indication of low progesterone. And in that case, they're having really short luteal phase. So like 10 days or less is a luteal insufficiency. Um, That number kind of varies depending on who you ask, because some women say it's nine days or less. Some doctors say it's 11 days or less. It kind of depends. But roughly 10 days or less to me is not enough progesterone to maintain a healthy luteal phase. If you're looking to get pregnant, you generally need anywhere at a minimum 10 days for implantation to take Mm. place. If you're menstruating before that, the egg might be being fertilized, but it's not having time to attach to the endometrial lining before the endometrial lining gets shed with your period. So that's why it's important. Wow. Yeah. Calendars, friends. So every woman should track her cycle for at least three cycles. And I think every woman benefits just from tracking her periods mm-hmm. and knowing when her period is going yeah. to come. Like, yeah. I don't know anybody who likes to be surprised. Yeah, like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, and now we have apps for it, right? Yes. Like, we got our paper calendar. I got an app that tells me in mm-hmm. two days you're going to start. I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, our smart technology, like my aura yeah. ring that I wear. Um, Apple watches do it. The Fitbit watch was doing it when I had a Fitbit. Yeah. There's lots of even the wearable technology now has that built in so you can start tracking your cycles there and then it'll give you a warning like your period is going to start in two days. Yep. Yeah. Which is, I think, awesome because again, you don't want to be like in the middle of a vacation and be like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. Yeah. Oh, crap. I need a sweatshirt to tie around my Yes, exactly. middle school? Oh, those are good old days. middle school. Oh my gosh. I have some middle school stories. So when I say that every woman should track her cycle for at least three cycles, what I mean is full tracking. So basal body temperature tracking, Mm. cervical fluid tracking. Mm. For some women, they like to track their cervical position. I will include that here. I never did it, but... I don't um, know what that is. Okay, well, I can walk you through it at least. And then period flow tracking. Okay, so if you are not trying... I'm going to add moodiness in there. Yeah. Go ahead, though. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. If you are not trying to conceive, just tracking your cycle periodically to make sure it's staying consistent okay. is fine. So if you're not trying to conceive, I think three months of knowing your cycle consistently is really important information, which I'll get into in a minute why that matters. But every woman, regardless of whether they're trying to get pregnant or not, should know their cycle very well. Um, and if it's consistent, you don't have to keep tracking it, but maybe just like once a year, check in on it. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, again, the average healthy follicular phase, which is the first half of your cycle prior to ovulation should be 11 to 16 days or 10 to 16 days. The average healthy luteal phase, which is the second half of your cycle after ovulation prior to menstruation should be 11 to 16 days. So if you track your cycle for three cycles and it stays within a one to two day variation between cycles, you can stop tracking. But even if you are not trying to conceive the length, your cycle length overall and the length of your follicular and luteal phases matter because they can indicate hormone health. So if you 
if all you know is that you consistently have a 27-day cycle, you don't actually know how long your follicular phase is and you don't actually know how long your luteal phase is. You just know that together they're 27 days. So if you Mm -hmm. don't track the other things, if you don't track your basal body temperature, if you don't track your cervical fluid at a minimum, you don't know where ovulation is happening and Mm -hmm. you don't know the length of, of each of those phases. And each of those phases can indicate are an indicator of hormone health. Okay, are you going to get into the basal temp and then the, I will. the fluids? Okay, good. Because I was like, I wouldn't know what's what. Yeah. Okay, good, 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 good. So as a bonus, if you are trying to avoid, knowing your cycle well is the most effective form of birth control there is, actually. Fertility awareness method is 99.4% effective at preventing pregnancy. I like those odds. And doesn't involve any crazy hormones. So... You are only fertile. A lot of women, I think, don't know this. And maybe we're getting better at sex education now. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of women, at least in our generation, don't know. You are only fertile for an average of six days out of your cycle. Mm. So you cannot get pregnant every day of your cycle. That is a confusing myth. So if you know which days those are, if you know what those six days are, which you can only know by tracking your cervical fluid and your cervical position and your basal body temperature, then you can easily avoid pregnancy without any forms of hormonal birth control. Um, And unlike the pill or hormonal IUDs or implants, it has no side effects, right? Those things all come with pretty significant side effects. So if you are going to rely entirely on fertility awareness method for trying to avoid pregnancy, you do need to track every month as your ovulation can vary occasionally. Mm. So I know I said for women who are not trying to conceive, they could just check, you know, like three months and see what it looks like and get a picture of when their average ovulation is, how long their average follicular phase is, how long their average luteal phase is. If you really, and and if you're trying to avoid, but it's okay if you get pregnant, that's fine. Yeah. But if you actively, like, you cannot get pregnant, then you need to be tracking every cycle because there are just... Oh, enough of a move. In yeah, the there can just be. So, for example, my cycle I tracked for probably the last almost eight years. I've tracked my cycle. Mm-hmm. I very consistently would ovulate between days 12 and 14 of my cycle. But I would have random cycles, like two or three times a year where I would ovulate day 16, day 17. Mm. So if I wasn't tracking my cycle and we were trying to avoid, Mm -hmm. that could have been a surprise because I would have assumed I was safe because once you ovulate after 24 hours, the egg is no longer viable. So you can't really get pregnant. So if I was like day 17 and I'm like, oh, I'm safe. (laughs) You're not safe. It could have, I mean, which we, once we realized we had issues with infertility, I was kind of mad that I tracked it all those years. It didn't matter, (laughs) but. And do you think stress could have like bumped your ovulation around a little? Oh yeah. Okay. Stress can definitely impact. Okay. Issue, travel. Oh, Being sick. Yeah. So getting like any kind of cold or flu can, especially if you have a fever, can really delay ovulation. Mm -hmm. Um, If you travel, it can delay ovulation. And yeah, if you're stressed out. So it's really important if you're relying on that solely as a method of preventing pregnancy, you do have to track every cycle because you have to know 
when you've ovulated so that you know when it's safe to have unprotected intercourse. So if you're just like, oh, well, on average, my cycles are 30 days and I average around day 15, I ovulate and yep, I'm good. It's day 16. Here we go. Like, yeah, that could be a surprise. Yep, surprise. Um, But back to hormone health. So for a premenopausal woman, their cycle is their greatest indicator of hormone health. So signs of an unhealthy cycle include no periods at all and i'll kind of walk through the signs and then what they they can indicate right so no periods at all if you're not having any periods obviously you're not having a healthy cycle hopefully you're already doing something about that and Mm -hmm. not not assuming that that's fine and normal yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but if you have no periods at all the possible significance are pregnancy Mm. obviously yeah (laughs) uh menopause Mm -hmm. stress working out too hard okay illness thyroid disease, celiac disease, coming off of birth control, which can take up to like six or seven months sometimes for a cycle to return and normalize, Mm -hmm. PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, high and high prolactin, which during breastfeeding is normal. So Mm -hmm. your body during breastfeeding naturally releases a lot of prolactin. That's what helps you lactate and produce milk. Um, and, And it's a natural, in some ways, it's a natural pre- prevention to getting pregnant again because mm. it's not that great to get pregnant immediately after you've just had a baby. Mm. So your body naturally has some forms of birth control. However, don't rely on that as your yeah. only form of birth control. Because yep, we've heard stories. Yep. Because <laughs> yeah. for some women, their cycle returns as soon as three months postpartum. For some women, it can take up to 14 months. It depends on whether you're exclusively breastfeeding and how often you're breastfeeding. And also just depends on the woman because I know people who have exclusively breastfed and their cycle returns after three months. And if you are depending, (laughs) you you ovulate before you menstruate. So Oh, really? So for some women, it's like the first, the egg can drop without you knowing your cycle has even returned. And if you're not having protected intercourse then you can fertilize that egg and you might have no idea for several months that you're pregnant unless you have really obvious symptoms so surprise surprise, <laughs> surprise. just like yeah irish twins right yeah yep. <laughs> i know some some women that this has happened to in there <laughs> yeah and all joking aside i mean if it happens it, it happens but right. it's it's not optimal for your health and it's not optimal for the baby's health because your body needs roughly a year to recover after you have carried a child in order for you to build back up your nutrient reserves to successfully nourish another child. And there are some books I've read that recommend waiting two to three years in between children to optimally nourish your body. So you can imagine if you only have two to three months that recovery is pretty incomplete and oftentimes the second child is malnourished. So wow. Okay. If it's happened, don't like feel bad. Right. <laughs> now, yeah. Now just, but just to be aware of it. Yeah, like, yeah. Now just pump them up with good nutrients. Yeah, exactly. Um, so another sign of an unhealthy cycle is irregular cycle length. We've talked about this a little bit. So possible significance with irregular cycle length is variations in the follicular phase. So it's either too long or too short. And the luteal phase, so it's either too short, usually too short, too long, generally indicates that you're pregnant. Mm. PCOS, thyroid disease, um, illness, 
low progesterone stress and anovulatory cycles. So anovulatory cycles are cycles during which you do not ovulate. If you're not tracking basal body temperature, you may not know that this is happening. So spotting before and or after menstruation is another sign of an unhealthy cycle. Mm. Your period flow should be like a faucet turning on and off. It should be smooth. So the flow should start, build, and kind of peak and then smoothly taper off. No Mm. spotting. Spotting is like a sputtering faucet. Mm. Um, So some possible significance is some ovulation spotting. So some women spot right around the the time that they ovulate, which is common and and debatably normal. Okay, okay. My my acupuncturist for traditional Chinese medicine, they feel that any spotting throughout your cycle is not normal. Mm. Um, but I know it, it can be a common sign of just normal fertility for a lot of women. So um, other signs could be that you have an anovulatory cycle. So when you don't ovulate and you don't, like you just don't trigger the series of hormonal cascades that tell your body whether to keep the uterine lining or shed the uterine lining. And so sometimes with those cycles, you could not really have a period. You might just have spotting for a few days, which isn't technically a period. So, mm, uh-huh. yes. uh, so and then the next cycle might be really heavy. Um, endometriosis can res- cause spotting prior to menstruation and post-menstruation. So you have several days of spotting before and after you menstruate. Sometimes that's a sign of endometriosis. It can also be a sign of adenomyosis, uterine polyps, ovarian cysts, and infection. Um, Endometriosis and adenomyosis both cause, just to distinguish between the two, um, they both cause abnormal growth of the tissue similar to the uterine lining. So endometriosis is when that uterine lining tissue grows outside of the uterus and onto other organs. Um, And adenomyosis is when that uterine tissue grows into the uterus wall. So that's the difference between them. So endometriosis, it grows outside of the uterus. Adenomyosis, it grows into the uterine wall. But both of them cause similar symptoms such as pelvic pain, unusual menstrual bleeding, and heavy periods. Um, But they, the endometriosis is more dispersed throughout your body. Wow, um, <laughs> and we don't know why. I like wonder. I wonder why your body's doing that. There is okay. there is a lot of different theories on it. Okay, yeah, okay. and nobody really fully knows why. Some people think it's an autoimmune condition, which I think we're getting more and more evidence that yeah. at least endometriosis is an autoimmune condition. Okay. Um, some people believe it's from something called retrograde menstruation which is where instead of like blood flowing out properly it flows up and into your like fallopian tubes and kind of like carries some of that tissue with it okay but and then some people think it's just a general state of inflammation that everyone has some degree of retrograde menstruation and that for just some women there's overall increased inflammation that then causes that tissue to take hold okay okay but Wow, interesting, very interesting. But it's so underdiagnosed that it's really hard to have any, and there's just not enough research to show the origin and, and okay. what causes it. Okay. <clears throat> wow. Um, yes, which we could talk about endometriosis too in, in a minute. In another, oh, I say, and another um, 
In our fertile files. Yes, I would definitely like to pick Lara Bryden's or Lisa yeah. Hendrickson's Jack Brain on it. But um, yeah, but I do have some more information further into this talk. So um, another sign of irregular cycles is sawtooth temperatures during your luteal phase or temps dropping too soon. So when we talk about sawtooth temperatures, so if you are tracking your basal body temperature, so I'll just get into that, I think, here yeah, and how you do that. So your basal body temperature is your resting body temperature. So that is your body temperature first thing in the morning right after you wake up. Not 10 minutes after you wake up, not an hour after you wake up. Literally, you wake up, take your temperature. That is your basal body temperature. If you ha- are waking a lot throughout the night, it's best to just take the temperature at a consistent time. And as long as you take it at a consistent time, you can spot patterns and fluctuations well. But if you're taking it one morning at 3 a.m. and another morning at 6 a.m., you're not going to have consistent reads. Mm-hmm. So you need to be consistent okay. about when you take your temperature. Okay. Set an alarm. Yeah. And uh, what is best is to use a basal body thermometer. So you could, like a normal like ear thermometer or forehead thermometer, those fever ones are not good. They're not accurate, They're not accurate. for tracking basal body okay. temperature. Better to have one that you can put in your mouth. Okay. And they're not that, if you just buy a basic one on Amazon, they're not that expensive. It's like yeah. 25 or 30 bucks. Yeah. Um, but that's the best kind. Or if you want to get really fancy, now there's wearable temp trackers, like the Aura Ring tracks your temperature, however... Um, I wouldn't rely on that because it doesn't tell you your actual temperature. It just tells you your variance from baseline. But there are other wearables such as the temp drop that like measure your axillary temperature. So your armpit temperature, you wear the band all night. The sensor rests like right under your armpit basically and it measures your temperatures throughout the night and then it calculates your basal body temperature. Things like that are nice if you're not just casually (laughs) tracking. If you're actively trying to conceive, a temp drop is a really nice tool, especially if you don't have consistent sleep. So if you sleep all night and you wake up every day at 6 a.m., then a regular basal body thermometer, just a cheap, like put it in your mouth one, is going to be totally adequate. If you have another child and are trying to conceive and you're constantly waking through the night with mm. your existing child, yep. then the temp drop is a really nice choice. Or if you're somebody like me who has struggled with insomnia and wakefulness and tends to have, like this morning, I slept all night until about 5.30, which was great. But I have other nights where I wake up at two in the morning and I'm awake till like five in the morning. Mm. So if you're somebody like that, the temp drop is really nice because (laughs) otherwise you don't know when to take your temperature because you don't know when you're going to wake up. And when you're trying to track your basal body temperature, the consistency is what's important. So the temp drop is kind of expensive. My sister bought it for me as a gift, which is probably the only reason I own one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, sister. (laughs) Thank you, sister. Um, but yeah, if you're serious about trying to conceive, want some a tool like that can be really useful if you have irregular sleep. But if you're simply casually tracking your cycle to get a sense of your hormone health, then a basic basal body thermometer from Amazon is great. So you take your temperature 
First thing in the morning when you wake up, it's best to actually leave it in your mouth for about a minute or two Mm -hmm. and let it kind of like acclimate to your mouth temperature versus like just popping it in and out, Um, which can be kind of like if the the sensor has been on your nightstand all night and it's kind of cold, then just Mm. that can affect your readings. But as long as you do the same thing, (laughs) that's what really matters. Because what you're going to track yep. is your is your personal variance. Yep. So in the first half of your cycle in the follicular phase, when you menstruate, your basal body temperature will drop. So okay. I'm not going to give you an average temperature that it is because every woman's baseline temperature is different. It's their own, okay. But it will be low. So it will be low in the first half of your cycle until... Every day. Every day. Okay. It, it will fluctuate, but it should be lower. Kind of okay. As a baseline, it's lower. So in the second half of your cycle, after you ovulate, so typically within 24 to 48 hours after you ovulate, your basal body temperature will rise and it will stay elevated for at least three days. Okay. So that is how you confirm ovulation. So. Oh, but you don't catch it ahead of time. It's mm-mm. after the fact. It's okay. after the fact. So that's not like a birth control <clears throat> method because you already ovulated. It's a birth control method in the sense of after you know you've ovulated. Yeah. Predictability. When you have that third high temperature, okay. you know you're safe. After that. Got it. Because the egg is only viable for roughly 24 to 36 hours. Okay. So once you get to that third day of sustained high temperatures, okay. you can confirm you've ovulated yep. and you can safely have unprotected intercourse for the rest of your cycle. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in the second half of your cycle, which is your luteal phase, your basal body temperature should be sustained elevated. So when I talk about sawtooth temperatures, what I mean is that a normal healthy luteal phase, those temperatures stay elevated and fairly consistent. They will vary from day to day, but they shouldn't look like the teeth of a saw. It shouldn't be up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. It shouldn't be like that. So if you're having a lot of up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down temperatures or your temperatures drop like three days before you menstruate, because they really should drop on the day you menstruate. And it's pretty much like clockwork in a healthy cycle. So that's how you can count how many days your follicular phase is. So you have those low temps. You're counting how many days are at those low temps. Then your temp will rise after ovulation and it will stay elevated until you menstruate again so you can count how many days of elevated temperatures you have so that's how you can estimate your follicular and and luteal phase length it's not an exact science because there's some women don't like some women have a nice estrogen dip right before they ovulate so they have a nice low temperature and then it takes their basal body temperature a few days to climb some women, it can take 48 hours for their temp to hike up. Some, it takes 72 hours. So it's different. Okay. So it's, it's more of a general rule. But it's a general. A, you yes. should be correct probably within one to two days. Okay. You should be able to predict your follicular and luteal phase lengths. Wow. Um, so <clears throat> if you're tracking your basal body temperature and you see that day, let's say day 10, 
of your luteal phase, your temperature drops again Mm -hmm. back to what we call baseline, which is your follicular temps. But you don't get your period for three days. That's actually a sign of hormonal insufficiency. So that's a sign that your body is not making enough progesterone because progesterone is correlated with the raise in temperatures. And when progesterone stays nice and high and even like it should during your luteal phase, your temperatures should reflect that. They'll stay nice and high and even during your luteal phase. If your progesterone is dropping, like again, that sputtering faucet, so turning on, turning off, turning on, turning off, then you might see fluctuations in your temperature. So that's the importance of tracking your basal body temperature. And likewise, during the follicular phase, which estrogen is associated with that decreased body temperature, if you're having a lot of spikes, then you may not have sufficient estrogen. You have a beautiful brain, Elaine, because if I were to like track all this, I was like, I know what's going on. I'm here, there. But you could look at a woman's graph and your brain could be like, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And you could be like, see this dip? Oh, see this rise? And your brain can make sense of it. And that's really cool. Yeah. And if you were tracking it for three years, you would too. You would know. You could then speak the language. Yeah. You could speak the language. But yeah, if you need to just write this down, yeah. you know, like pause, rewind, pause, rewind, play this part. I totally get it. I spent years, literal years studying this and learning about it. And prior to trying to conceive, I knew basically none of it. I'm here. I'm here. I had like a general knowledge, but yeah, but not like I do now. Yeah. So wow. I don't expect the average listener to be familiar with these terms and be familiar with these things. That's why we're walking through them. That's right. <clears throat> and Eleni is a nutritionist that can help you with that's yours. Right. <laughs> if you want to give her a... Yes, that's right. Make an appointment. So um, another sign of an unhealthy cycle is PMS. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. anything that accompanies the premenstrual syndrome, the moodiness, the headaches, the brain fog, the crabbiness, the cramps, all of those things are considered PMS. That can be a sign of estrogen excess, low progesterone, inflammation, histamine intolerance, stress, and then postmenstrual symptoms. So if you start your period and then you start having those kind of like irritability symptoms, those can indicate an anovulatory cycle or PCOS. <clears throat> if you have cramping with menstruation, it can be a sign of endometriosis, adenomyosis, ovarian cysts, Infection or using a copper IUD can cause that too. So again, cramping with menstruation is, though common, not normal. So pain-free periods actually are a possibility. A little bit of discomfort is okay, but it shouldn't ever interrupt your daily activities. Like you should be able to fully function for the whole day with whatever menstrual cramping you have. If it's starting to disrupt your daily activities, Or if you need to take any amount of painkillers, that is not normal. So I remember like having periods really bad and basically going to my OBGYN and saying, hey, I have really bad menstrual cramps. I'm worried about endometriosis. And she said, and this was probably 10 years ago, she said, it's probably not endometriosis. Don't worry about that. If you want, I can put you on hormonal birth control so you don't have periods. So you don't have the pain. And I was like, well, no, I'm not interested in stopping my periods. I want to figure out why I'm having the really bad cramps, right? That's why I've come to you. That's not what's in the 
the physician's toolbox. So. Yes, right, right. You're like, wait, wait, wait. If you go to the physician, you're basically, you're telling them like, hey, I can't handle whatever is going on. And their toolkit is medications to help you feel better, right? So the symptoms. that's yeah. what they're going to offer you. So that's that's a choice, right? So I learned that. Um, and then she said, well, okay, if you don't want to do hormonal birth control, just take as much Advil as you need to, like in a 24-hour period. Every month. Every right. month yep. to get rid of the cramps. So I would have months where I was taking like 8 to 10 Advil in a 24-hour really? period just trying to be able to go to work. I mean, that wasn't even feeling good. That was just being able to get out wow. of bed. Wow, a lady 10 years later, look at you. Yeah, so that Whoa. is not normal. And in fact, when I was taking nutrition classes, this was the first time I ever heard this. Reading in my nutrition textbook talking about women's health, they said any painkiller use, even if you take one Advil during the day, is is abnormal. Is Wow. And here I was taking like 10. Oh my word. And what a cool light bulb on that you were like, wait, something's wrong. I can yeah. fix this and now I can live my life feeling good. And the average diagnosis, we've talked about this before, but the average diagnosis time for a woman with endometriosis is 12 years. That's how not seriously the medical profession takes it. Because when women come in talking about menstrual cramps, it's like, oh, they're just, they have a low pain tolerance. They can't handle it. But actually, significant period pain is usually a sign of endometriosis or adenomyosis. And yep. I think endometriosis can be silent, so it can cause no symptoms, or it can cause horrible cramps. And either way, it can cause infertility. So. Wow. Wow. So it, we really are <laughs> saying like, you can take care of it and get to the root of it, mm -hmm. and then you don't have to have that pain. Hey there, Renegades. Eleni here, briefly interrupting this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I wanted to highlight a company that Kay and I have recently discovered that we love, and that company is Bulletproof. Bulletproof sells high-quality nutritional supplements, and every product that Kay and I have tried from them personally, we have found to be excellent. It's important when you choose a supplement that it contain the bioactive forms in order for it to be effective, and Bulletproof has just the right forms in just the right amounts. Right now, if you go to bulletproof.com and use the code RENEGADE15 at checkout, you can receive 15% off your order. That's RENEGADE, R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E-15. Use that code at checkout to get 15% off and we'll earn a small commission too. Thanks for your support. All right, back to this week's episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Another sign of an unhealthy cycle is overly heavy flow. So overly heavy flow, like which would be if you're soaking a tampon every two hours, that's overly heavy flow. Um, so that can indicate perimenopause, Adolescence, because it's it is a little more common in young teenagers, their bodies are still regulating, so having a heavy flow is is pretty common through adolescence. Okay, um, and an an ovulatory cycle followed by a regular cycle because it's possible you didn't like slough off all of the uterine lining the cycle before, so now you're having a heavier cycle because you have a lot more uterine lining built up. Um, estrogen excess, low progesterone. PCOS, copper IUD, thyroid disease, 
fibroids, endometriosis, adenomyosis, and coagulation disorders. So now you're getting a picture of how your cycle health can indicate a lot of things. Like root cause. Root cause. Prolonged bleeding. So if you have a really long cycle, so a healthy cycle is anywhere from like two, like a healthy menstrual Menstrual, cycle is anywhere from like two to five days. Anything beyond that is considered prolonged bleeding, um, which can be, again, a sign of that you had an anovulatory cycle and now you've had a regular cycle. So you had more buildup. Um, It can be a sign of perimenopause, uterine polyps or PCOS. An overly light flow, so not even getting like 25 mils of blood each period. So maybe you only use panty liners and you just don't even soak them. That's an overly light flow. Can be a sign of an anovulatory cycle. PCOS, excess phytoestrogen, so eating too much soy and things like that, um, which can interfere with estrogen production of your body. Mid-cycle bleeding, mistaken for a period or low estrogen. Um, Menstrual clots, so having a lot of clotty, thick blood when you have a menstrual cycle can indicate low progesterone, perimenopause, thyroid disease, endometriosis, adenomyosis, or fibroids. Um, Lack of fertile cervical fluid, so not having the fertile cervical fluid, which I'll tell you what that looks like, can be a sign of an anovulatory cycle low estrogen, yeast infection, or bacterial vaginosis. So when you're looking for fertile cervical fluid, what you're looking for is what we call the egg white cervical mucus. Mm, Okay. So every woman should pay attention to their discharge like every every month. It's not gross. I think we need to take away the like stigma that is around cervical fluid. Right, right. Um, So the normal progression of cervical fluid throughout your cycle. Okay, let's hear it. Is that it should be kind of dry and sticky in the follicular phase. So as you approach all... I'll say okay. what it tr- how it progresses as you approach ovulation. Okay. So it should go from dry and sticky, so kind of like white, pasty, to okay. then like a creamy, lotiony consistency, okay. to then a more stretchy, egg white consistency. Okay. <laughs> and then for some women at ovulation, it gets really watery. So it could be really watery, really egg white, like you might have a ton of it. And then after ovulation, it should dry up. So it's not healthy to not have it heading into ovulation, regardless of whether you are trying to conceive or not. Obviously, the fertile cervical fluid is called fertile cervical fluid because it increases your fertility. It's the type of cervical fluid that sperm can survive in in order to like go and fertilize an egg and get where they need to go. If you don't have it, then you might have low estrogen or chronic yeast infection. If you have a ton of it and it continues after you ovulate and you've confirmed that you've ovulated with your basal body temperature because you've now had the three elevated sustained temperatures, if you continue having that recurrent fertile cervical fluid throughout a cycle, then that can indicate that you're either having an anovulatory cycle, which if you're tracking basal body temperature and you've confirmed, ovulation obviously isn't the case. Um, it could be low progesterone. 
It could be your body trying and not succeeding to ovulate several times in a row, or it could be sputtering ovulation. So you shouldn't be having just recurrent cervical fluid. It means your hormones are not behaving how they should be because the cascade of hormones that interact to release that fertile cervical fluid should end after ovulation has has been completed. If they're continuing to try and ovulate, you can't ovulate more than once in a cycle. So it's not a good sign. Wow. So much to this. My brain is going through like <laughs> dates and liquids and all right my brain yeah. spinning here. Which hey. is just not that hard to check. You can just do the toilet paper check. Honestly, yep. for some women, they produce enough that they can either check their underwear or their cervical or their like cervical fluid on tissue paper. Yeah. When you actually start paying attention to it, you're like, oh, that's what that is. That's why I had that like egg white kind of mucus when I wiped the other day. It's like stretchy. The rule with like fertile cervical fluid is it should stretch about an inch between your fingers if you were stretching it. If you're going to touch it. (laughs) Which like once you're in the trying to conceive, like it's not gross. It's just literally your body's own fluids. It's like water and salts. Yep. So it's not like nasty or dirty. Yeah. Um, some women, when they're trying to conceive, don't produce enough that they can check externally. They have to check internally. I never did that, but I just, if you're going to do that, you need to have clean hands because otherwise you can introduce infection. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So now you can see, and again, like I said, this is all overview, right? That we could spend like an hour on each yes. of these topics. Yes. But... that's the way so every cycle if you are not trying to conceive and you want to track three cycles then track your basal body temperature the way we told you and track your fertile cervical fluid okay when you're seriously trying to conceive some women will also check their cervical position i never did that i didn't find it beneficial just because i couldn't really tell what i was feeling i think the idea is that i don't know what this is is that when you're when your cervix is low and open means that you're about to ovulate because it's releasing an egg. Okay. I just didn't know how to like, I, I could never tell what I was wait, feeling. So okay, I didn't wait, rely on that. You like to feel it. You feel, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you need to insert your fingers into your vagina to feel. and you can feel the cervix because it feels like you're touching the end of somebody's nose. Like at some point your finger hits something. Okay. So it's really high. So to know if it's high or low. Yeah. So you have to get baseline again. You would have to know. I mean, you would just yeah. have to know and you would have to be checking every day. Again, I never did that because I felt like it was just a lot of hassle. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to make sure your hands are really clean because yeah. you don't want to put any like yeah. foreign bacteria yeah. Especially you're like walking into a public restroom, you touch the door, you touch the door of the stall, and then you're going to put your hand into your vagina. Like that's a good way to get a UTI or some sort of, yeah. So to me, I just never, I was always working or at school and it was never convenient yeah. To like wash my hands a thousand times and then not touch a stall door. So Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just never tracked it. But a lot of women find it a really useful and tool. No, okay. You know, my best friend is an OBGYN and she could like I'm sure she's like, Yep, I know that feeling. That's mm-hmm. a that's a dropped one. <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. To me, cervical fluid and basal body temperature were always more than enough. Okay. To track my cycle. I didn't need anything else. I just felt like it could add confusion. And I think a lot yeah. of women don't know what they're feeling or if they're not checking consistently. Yeah. Then it feels like yeah. shot in the dark here. Yeah. yeah. Where I could tell like women in our infertility circles, they would be pretty accurate with their basal body temperature and with their 
cervical fluid where they got a lot less accurate was when they were trying to determine their cervical position so yeah it feels really subjective <laughs> for my perception but yeah okay but a lot of fertility experts recommend it mm-hmm. so i'm not not recommending it i just am personally not I, it just didn't work for me okay that was my experience fair So why do we care? Why do you care about having a healthy cycle? Well, healthy hormone levels are needed for the function of many body systems and are especially important for healthy mood and mental health, healthy metabolism and body weight, healthy hair and skin, and healthy bones, so avoiding osteoporosis. So unhealthy periods can be an indication of underlying health issues such as hormonal imbalance, thyroid disease, or environmental and lifestyle issues, such as not eating enough, exercising too much and too hard, or being a vegetarian, which could be accompanied by zinc or iron deficiency or too many phytoestrogens from eating too many foods, such as soy and legumes. So please never treat, quote unquote, a period issue with birth control. So birth control does not regulate periods. It stops them and induces a pill bleed. This is not a true menstrual cycle. So if you have irregular cycles and you go to your obstetrician and ask for help regulating them and they put you on the pill, that is not regulating your cycle. What you're doing is you're taking the pills for a series of days and when you stop taking them, you have what's called a withdrawal bleed. That's not a true period. So that is not regulating your period Mm. i just want to be really clear about that if that's the path you choose that's fine i'm not judging it but have awareness but just know that doesn't mean your cycle is regulated and once you stop taking the pill you're still going to have to address the root issue that was causing your irregular cycles so in that case you're simply masking the symptoms same as if you take the pill for menstrual cramps or you get on the pill because you have hormonal acne or anything like that. Those are all signs that your body's hormones are not healthy and getting on the pill simply suppresses all of those hormones. So it will stop the symptoms, but there's a reason why your hormones are imbalanced and you need to figure out what that reason is and you need to address the root cause of that. Getting on the pill is not going to change that. Wow. Yes. <clears throat> so as soon yeah. as you get off the pill, your symptoms will most likely return unless while you were on the pill, you managed to make dietary and lifestyle changes that were effective at treating the root cause, which if you're like so miserable, you can't function, then I support doing what you need to do to get your life back. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I support. Yeah. But as long as you're also getting to the root of why those problems are happening, right? Which that reminds me of the podcast with their, um, was it your friend Deanna? Dina. Dina. So she was saying how if you get up in the morning, eat food right away and get 10 minutes of sunshine (laughs) in the early morning, it kicks off your hormones right for the day and then... Cortisol. Cortisol. So it kind of just, with all the podcast interviews we do, I'm like sensing like there's a get enough sleep, manage your stress, eat the right food, make sure you're... um, having enough fiber to get the toxins out of your body and the excess hormones. And I'm like, oh my gosh, to get to the root cause, it's such a, um, a like a life, like the way you do life. Yeah. I'm just like trying to put it all together here. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. right. Yep. Right. Which if you're leading and following a healthy lifestyle, your cycle should also be healthy, but there can be underlying hormonal issues that are hard to detect. 
yeah. otherwise if Which you're then, not tracking. Like a functional medicine doctor could help. Absolutely. Somebody who specializes in hormone health can help you with that because there's there could be like a need for bioidentical hormone prescription or things mm-hmm. like that that are best done safely in the hands of a naturopathic doctor or a hormone specialist. Mm, yes. So now just a word on fertility, because if you are beginning your journey into trying to conceive, then there are some important things to know. So first of all, before you ever start trying to conceive, these are the things you should have in place that will make your journey easier. So first of all, tracking your cycles for at least three cycles prior to conceiving or trying to conceive so that you know what's going on in your body. Yep, check. Because you'll know what what your normal cycle looks like, which will help you time intercourse more effectively. So tracking your cycles, so your cervical fluid at least, and your basal body temperature, your period flow. Um, I really like the Kindara app for tracking and also for the community aspect. It can be a love-hate relationship. When you're dealing with infertility, like the whole community side can be really supportive. I've made many friends through the app and women that I keep in touch with outside of the app now um, who like just have personally helped me on my own journey because they went through similar things. On the other hand, the community aspect of the app you're going to come across women's charts who are like, got pregnant accidentally, wink. Or like, this is our first cycle trying to succeed. We're so happy we did it. Like, (laughs) yeah, it can be really triggering. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so when you're like two years into your journey and like every month is blood, sweat, and tears and you just read one more motherfucking story (laughs) of somebody who got pregnant their first cycle, like that is the part of the app that you just have to know yourself. Yes, yes. Yep, that's growth for yourself. Right. And that's, yep, yep. And you just have to know whether you can or cannot handle yeah. that. Yep. So <laughs> I liked the community aspect. I had women I could connect with through the app. You can like follow each other's charts. So I would just follow the women that I whose stories I really cared about mm-hmm. and, and stay in touch with them. That's neat. But I really like the app. If you don't use the community aspect at all, the app is still really good. It lets you input your period flow and it lets you dictate how heavy the flow is. Um, It lets you indicate when you have cervical fluid and what it looks like. So as we walked through the different signs, you can put in whether it's dry and sticky, whether it's creamy and lotiony. Again, send pictures to Lainey's Instagram. Whether it's um, whether it's like egg white cervical fluid, and then you can input your basal body temperature, and you can input your cervical position. So it's a really helpful app for tracking mm-hmm. your own cycle. Oh wait, how do you spell it? And does it cost money? Uh, Kindara is K I N D A R A, and no, Kindara. it's free. Like a lot of those apps, it has a free and a paid version. Okay. I absolutely do not recommend the paid version. Okay. Only because right now I think new I don't I don't even know who's managing the app. Really nobody. It hasn't been updated okay. since like November of twenty twenty one. Okay. So um, I would not recommend paying for it because I've heard a lot of women like they're trying to end their subscription. And they can't because nobody's like running customer service. So they're trying to like message them and say like, hey, I don't want a paid subscription anymore. And nobody's messaging them back. Oh, okay. Something to work on, Kendara. And I feel like because if nobody's running it, the app could just kind of go down at any point. Mm. Um, 
yeah. it's not a good idea to be putting money into it. And the free version covers more than enough. I mean, you can track everything I just said. For free. I'm for like, free. How do they make money off that? My yeah, the paid one like- offers more symptom options and more customization. You really don't need it. I do the okay. free version. And I've done the free version for eight years. I will just put in the disclaimer that I don't know how long the app is going to continue oh, because wow. of the fact. It's free. No, well, no, because of the fact that nobody's managing it. <laughs> right, it hasn't been right. updated. <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. But there's lots of other apps. I'm, I think there's like Fertility Friend. Like there's the Fertility Friend app. There's lots. Cool. Just Google you best know, menstrual cycle tracking that apps. Is really where like life and humanity is really neat. Like where you all can come together <laughs> and share your stories. I'm an emotional being and I think that is beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. And I do love it. I still I like depend on those women every day for yes. support through my pregnancy. So yes. yeah, so that app, the community aspect just really helped me through my whole journey. Um and then an, in, another important thing, so so getting an app, whatever app you end up with, but tracking your cycles, make sure it's an app that lets you at a minimum track your menstrual flow and the like intensity of it, and then your basal body temperature and your cervical fluid. And it does help if the app lets you track symptoms because it was really helpful for me to track like headaches. I could put in headaches and see when I was getting headaches throughout my cycle. You can put moodiness, irritability, you can put in menstrual cramping. So it lets you just keep track of what's happening every cycle so that if you end up seeing a fertility specialist or naturopathic doctor, you have a lot of information to give them, right? Um, Okay, another important thing to remember before you start trying to conceive is that any change you make in diet, supplements, and lifestyle takes approximately three months to impact sperm and egg health. So begin those changes at a minimum three months before you start trying to conceive. It's a long game. You're in it for the long game. That's right. Mm -hmm. Don't wait till you're a year into trying to conceive to start making those changes because at that point you're already frustrated and discouraged and waiting three months seems like forever. Forever. Each cycle. Oh my word. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, Additionally, once you conceive, your embryo in the first trimester draws from your previous three months nutrition stores. So a positive pregnancy test is not the time to begin dietary and supplement support because that embryo is already drawing from your previous three months of nutrition and will continue to do so until the second trimester. Um, In fact, many women will find themselves unable to take the supplements and eat the specific diet they wanted to if they have pregnancy sickness, which is why I think it's so brilliant that the body relies on your previous three months of stores because right at the time that like women, many women are struggling with sickness and food aversions and can't really feed themselves the nutritious foods they want to, their body is already drawing from what they ate three months before to nourish the the fetus. So it's genius and you need to make sure before you conceive that you have adequate nutrient stores. So you need to be eating healthy optimally for at least three months before you start trying. Um, Tracking your cycles will help you time intercourse and confirm ovulation. OPKs, OPKs do not confirm ovulation. So ovulation predictor kits are OPKs. Ovulation predictor. (laughs) Oh, you don't think they do predict it. I, I know they, they predict it. They don't confirm it. Confirm it. Predict, got it. Okay. Right. That's a fact. Okay. So you can have an OPK. All it does is it tells you that luteal, your luteal hormone is, is rising. Okay. 
which is what happens leading up to ovulation, it cannot confirm that you have ovulated. Only basal body temperature can confirm that you have ovulated. Okay. So for women who have multiple LH peaks throughout a cycle, they'll get positive OPKs throughout a cycle because their body is not successfully ovulating. So it tries to ovulate, the hormones rise, the OPK picks that up and says, yep, you're about to ovulate. And then you might take a test again in a few days and you get another positive OPK. That's a sign that you didn't ovulate and your body is trying again. Oh, okay. So tracking your cycles and knowing that you have ovulated using basal body temperature, that's the only way. But an OPK can tell you you're about to ovulate. So it can help you time intercourse appropriately. Okay. All right. I got to remember all that. Well... (laughs) I'm out of baby making stages, yeah. but I'll remember it for other people. Obviously, if you're trying yeah. to make a baby, you should have a basic knowledge in <laughs> women's health and cycles. Mm-hmm. You should know that you're trying to have intercourse during your ovulation time. If you don't know that, you need to spend some time reading. And a really great book for that is Taking Charge of Your Fertility um, by Tony. I can't remember her last name. It starts with a W. But the book is Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Read that book if you don't know anything. Okay, more basic. Because that will get you started, right? Um, And then another great thing to have before you start trying to conceive is to go to your your doctor and get basic blood work. So great to get a basic CBC or comprehensive blood panel Mm -hmm. and a comprehensive metabolic panel. Um, So... You can check on that. You can make sure you're not iron deficient on the CBC. You can make sure you don't have any B vitamin deficiencies and you can make sure you're not zinc deficient. So on that comprehensive metabolic panel, it should have alkaline phosphatase as one of the markers that they're measuring. That should be 75 or higher. If it's below 75, you're zinc deficient. So those are things to check before you start trying to conceive because you don't want to be iron deficient which if you're having a lot of light menstruation can sometimes be a sign of that because it impacts your fertility overall. Same with zinc deficiency and same with B vitamin deficiencies. Not having enough B vitamins can impact the health of the embryo. So those are things I would check before I started trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. Okay. If after six months of carefully tracking your cycles and actively trying to conceive, so timing intercourse tracking your cycles, you know you're having intercourse at the right time. If you are not pregnant, here are some things you can do. Start working with a naturopathic doctor because it is outside the scope of practice of your OBGYN to get down to root issues with fertility. And I can promise you if you come in at six months of trying to conceive, they will tell you to come back once you've hit a year of trying to conceive. Because the conventional medical wisdom is that it's normal to take a year to get pregnant. That's mostly because our parameters for sperm health are so low. So because we don't have high standards for sperm health, it is normal for it to take a long time. Um, Not normal. It's common for mm-hmm. it to take a long time, but it's not normal. So six months in, and I would give it really all you've got for six months before you take any steps, because that is pretty like just even if you successfully time ever like every pregnancy is just an amazing miracle so yeah. like yes even if you successfully time everything the egg and the sperm may not meet or they may meet and you may just lose the embryo like 
I think 50% of um, successful fertilizations are lost before the woman, long before she even has a missed period. Wow. Because your body just doesn't retain it. There can be genetic abnormalities. There can just be a lot of reasons why you're not conceiving. And it doesn't mean you're unhealthy or your partner is unhealthy or your eggs are unhealthy or the sperm is unhealthy. It's just your body figuring things out. Mm. Um, So six months is pretty typical for it to take. And still be able to have a healthy pregnancy and healthy cycles. So if you want to, at the six-month mark, I would suggest working with a naturopath to start getting to the root issues and to have some helpful recommendations on supplements and dietary changes because your OBGYN is not really going to do anything at that point. They don't view it as infertility. You could start acupuncture, which is really helpful for cycle health and can improve fertility. You could start chiropractic, which is also helpful for cycle health and improving fertility. Um, when I worked at a chiropractor, we had several women who came in who had been trying for like two or three years and with chiropractic care, they conceived within a few months. So sometimes it's just that your body, the nerve interference caused by subluxations in your spine are interfering with your ability to get pregnant. Same with acupuncture. It can remove some of those interferences and help energy and information flow appropriately through your body and help you get pregnant. Um, if you haven't already, you should be cleaning up your diet and lifestyle. Yeah, renegade. So if you're six months in and you're like, you didn't start three months before, time to start now. Yeah. Work on sleeping better and managing stress if those are issues for you. Do a food sensitivity panel or at the very least <clears throat> do a gluten and wheat sensitivity test because gluten sensitivity can directly impact fertility if you are exposing yourself to gluten all the time because it causes low-level inflammation, which will impact fertility. Mm. Check your thyroid health with a thyroid panel that includes at a minimum T3, T4, TSH, and anti-thyroid antibodies or TPO. Thyroid health really impacts fertility. And do an ANA, which is indicating a general autoimmune disorder. So an ANA test can just look for any sort of autoantibodies within the body and autoimmune conditions can drastically impact fertility. So just having a baseline of whether you have some self antibodies or not can help. Um, I suggest getting a semen analysis at the six month mark and progesterone test at a minimum. So it takes three months for any changes like we talked about that you make to impact sperm health, which is why I recommend you order the panel at six months. Men are 50% of the equation. So sperm health can impact genetic health of the embryo because it contains 50% of the genetics. And poor sperm health can lead to increased risk of miscarriage due to chromosomal abnormalities. Also, if the the sperm are all malformed and mutated, they can't swim very well to reach the egg and fertilize it in the first place. Sperm quality can be improved even from the most dire results with simple lifestyle and supplement changes, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. So again, don't wait until you're one and a half years into trying to conceive to get your husband's or your partner's semen analyzed because at that point you're already feeling frustrated and anxious and it could take three to six months for any changes they make to impact their sperm health. And at that point, everything just feels like in eternity. So Mm -hmm. six months in is a good time to check sperm health. 
Mm-hmm. And most doctors won't order a panel before then anyway. So you could try to get one sooner, but you'd probably, yeah, yeah. It, it would depend on your physician. A lot of doctors just won't do it because they don't see it. Again, they don't think anything's wrong until you're over a year of trying. So we were able to get one sooner because we have a doctor who's great. Not everybody has that. So, But at a minimum, your partner is 50% of the equation. There's a lot more that can go wrong in a woman's body, which is why it seems like it's more often the woman's quote unquote fault if there's fertility issues. But in reality, they're still only half of the equation. It's just that for men, it's a, a more simple outcome usually. Yeah, yeah. There's just one thing to test as opposed to like 50 things to test. Yeah, for a woman. <laughs> And then as a woman, make sure you get your progesterone tested post ovulation. About seven days post ovulation is the best time to test your progesterone. Um, So you will need to know when you have ovulated. So you will need to be tracking your cervical fluid and your basal body temperature because the test needs to be done about seven days post ovulation. Um, And progesterone supplementation is such an easy fix. So if it's simply an issue of low progesterone, Um, It really can make a difference between a healthy pregnancy or not, or being able to conceive or not, Um, especially if you are experiencing chemical pregnancies, so pregnancies that end with your period starting as planned, or early miscarriages. Don't take the like, this is normal bullshit. Just do something about it. Get your progesterone tested. That's an easy thing to do to make sure. And it should be above 20, ideally, at that seven days post ovulation. So if it's lower than 20, find somebody who can work with you to raise your progesterone levels. Uh, And then ideally, you could do a full female hormone panel and not just look at progesterone, but look at FSH, look at LH, look at estrogen, all of those things, um, either a blood test that a naturopathic physician can order or a Dutch test, dried urine comprehensive, uh, dried urine testing for comprehensive hormones is what Dutch stands for. Mm. Um, Again, you're going to have to work with a naturopathic doctor to order one of those because a conventional doctor won't do it. But it will look at all of your hormones, all the female hormones, all of the androgens, so the male hormones as well, because women have both male and female hormones. Um, it will look at all of those, all of their metabolites, and look at what could be deficient or in excess. And remember, any hormonal imbalances you discover can take several months to correct, so it's better to do it sooner in your journey than later. <clears throat> if after nine months you are not pregnant, here are some things you can do. You can do an ovarian ultrasound to rule out PCOS. So it will look at your ovaries and make sure it's producing the adequate number of eggs. If you're suffering from PCOS, you tend to produce more than 20 follicles per ovary. It's kind of like producing too much fruit on a tree and none of the fruit ripens. So Mm. that can cause the problem. Um, you can get an HSG, which is a hysterosalpinography, salpingography, that one, one. (laughs) HSG, which is basically an x-ray test to outline the internal shape of the uterus and rule out uterine polyps and show whether the fallopian tubes are blocked. Mm. Um, Sometimes that procedure alone can help clear out what they call tube goo. And debris, which can increase fertility by up to 40% for the next three cycles. So for some women, just having that procedure done improves their chances of conceiving. 
Um, you can also do a monitored cycle with ultrasound, which I highly recommend for any woman who's not sure whether their ovulation is healthy and strong or not. Um, especially if you've been hit with the unexplained infertility label. If you haven't done a monitored cycle with ultrasound, find a clinic that will do that for you. You can confirm that ovulation is happening when it is happening and that it is strong and healthy. So a lot of the unexplained infertility is due to partial or unhealthy ovulation. And you can have unhealthy ovulation and still have the appropriate cervical fluid and still have the appropriate rise in basal body temperature. So the only way to really know is to do that monitored cycle. Um, I also recommend seeing a specialist who can check for endometriosis or who you can talk to about endometriosis. Sometimes infertility is the only symptom of endometriosis and silent endo is a real thing. Um, I'm not on Facebook, but I've heard many women have recommended Nancy's Endo Nook on Facebook. It's a group for women with endometriosis. She provides a ton of resources on finding um, physicians who specialize in endometriosis and know how to treat it because, again, the conventional medical system greatly undermines endometriosis and doesn't really think it's a, a big problem. So finding somebody who knows how to look for endometriosis, look for the signs and markers of endometriosis, and if they believe you have it, can do the surgery to discover it because the only way to really know is either th for through an an ultrasound can show it if it's very advanced. Otherwise, you need to do laparoscopic surgery to discover it. Um, I also recommend if you hadn't at this point, start seeing an acupuncturist and um, look for if you know you have endometriosis, an acupuncturist can really help with that. Um, and so can a, a supplement called Fertilica brand, Choice Enzymes. Those things can help break down the endometrial tissue that is growing outside of your uterus and can reduce the inflammation. So an acupuncturist and those enzymes are two things that I did that completely ended my period pain. So I went from totally disabled by period pain to like not even having any period wow. pain at all. Okay. Just with acupuncture and those Fertilica Choice enzymes that helped my body break down that inflammatory tissue. Um, if you go see a conventional fertility specialist or reproductive endocrinologist, you should just be prepared for their most likely course of action, which will be that they'll suggest fertility medications. So either letrozole or Clomid for about three to four cycles. <clears throat> if you have the choice, choose letrozole. It has fewer side effects and is just as effective. Then they'll, if that doesn't work and you don't get pregnant with that, They'll recommend that you do IUI, which is interuterine insemination for three to four cycles. So with that, basically they let the woman's body ovulate as it should. They track ovulation to find out when you're going to ovulate. Some, some of them do it with a monitored ultrasound, which is what I've recommended you get anyway. <laughs> um, but once you're getting into IUI, it is expensive. So just better to have that monitored ultrasound to make sure you're ovulating correctly beforehand. Um, so they'll check and make sure you're ovulating and then they will take your partner's sperm. They'll spin it down. They'll keep the healthiest sperm and then they will help kind of like turkey baster. Yeah, turkey baster. Help the sperm try and meet the egg. Um, 
So they'll try that for three to four cycles. If that's not successful, then they'll move you on to IVF. So there's nothing wrong with any of those options if they're necessary for you. Mm -hmm. But remember, most conventional medical doctors are not going to get to the root issue of the problem. They're simply following a protocol that they apply to everyone regardless of their root cause of infertility. So when we went to go see a reproductive endocrinologist at the University of Iowa, which was a great experience in general overall, (laughs) beautiful team, beautiful people. I'm glad that they're helping people. (laughs) We got all the tests done, so we got the HSG done, and they found with an ovarian ultrasound that I did have the PCOS, so I was producing more than 20 follicles per ovary, so I was producing too many eggs. Mm. None of them were probably ripening sufficiently, but they couldn't confirm that. That was just the theory. Um, And they also found endometrial cysts in my ovaries, which is the only way you can use that ultrasound to confirm endometriosis. And once it's in your ovaries, it's pretty advanced. So we knew that I had stage three or stage four endometriosis at that point. I knew it without doing surgery because it showed up on an ultrasound, but you don't really want that. (laughs) Better to catch it early through surgery than to wait until it's showing up on an ultrasound. Um, So... We did all those tests. We saw that my tubes were not blocked. They looked healthy. They looked clear. My uterus looked really healthy. It was a healthy shape. There was no like abnormalities there because there can be abnormalities in the shape of your uterus. So um, sometimes that can impact fertility, but everything looked really healthy that way. And then other than having a lot of follicles, my ovaries looked healthy and looked like they were working correctly, right? Mm. So at that point, they said, your infertility is unexplained infertility, and it's probably due to the advanced endometriosis. And then they suggested we skip right to taking Clomid, a fertility drug, and doing IUI, so the intrauterine insemination. And at that point, we had already done a sperm analysis, and my husband's sperm were very healthy. And so I said okay, well, I'm not sure I understand the recommendation for IUI because if I'm taking fertility meds and it's going to help my body ovulate better, isn't that going to be the piece of the puzzle? And IUI isn't going to help with the infertility caused by endometriosis. So I just wasn't really sure why we needed that level of intervention at that point. And so I asked that question, like, would it really convey an advantage? And our doctor flat out said, probably not. (laughs) it's just what I recommend when couples have been trying to conceive for two years Mm -hmm. so he had all my tests at his fingertips and recommended a protocol he knew wouldn't work because that's what they do so again those are the tools that are in his toolkit that's all he can offer us I'm not criticizing him but it's not exactly a great way of doing things like it's an expensive and invasive procedure And it's just, yeah. And then his basic thing was, we'll try this for three cycles and then we'll move on to IVF. And to me, it was like, I I felt like we could still get pregnant naturally. I wanted to deal with the endometriosis, which it was good to have that diagnosis now. Then I felt like I really could start doing something about it. And I wanted to deal with the PCOS. I didn't want to just force pregnancy. I wanted to get pregnant on our own by dealing with those problems. 
And I'm not against IVF for the people who want to choose it. There's just a lot of considerations that come with it. So anyway. Yeah. Or you had some time to, I know like women later where they feel like their clock is ticking sort mm-hmm. of, you know, there, there are factors <clears throat> yeah. where it does really make sense. But for you, knowing you had the time and you have the tools. I mean, and being 33, 34, you don't exactly feel no pressure. Right? Well, that's like, true. <laughs> now you're all advanced maternal age. Yeah, say, I'm know. heading into geriatric pregnancy geriatric, age. So like I definitely felt the pressure. I think I just had a different mindset about it and it yeah. wasn't better or worse than anybody else's mindset. It just was different. And just fit you. Because for me, I'm just a natural person. I want to handle things naturally. I want to get to the root cause. I knew from watching many of my friends go through IVF that, you know, I made friends with in my fertility circles. um, I knew that it's about a 40, usually about a 40% success rate. Okay. Depending on the woman. Could be higher, could be lower. So, um, but on average maybe 40 to 50% success is what I was seeing. And it's a lot to go through. It's a lot. I won't get into it here. I think it's best to have that option explained to you. Um, but it is a lot of medications. It's a lot of altering your body's natural processes. It's a lot of changing your hormones. It's a beautiful, wonderful option for many women. And I am not against it at all. I just wasn't willing to go there yet. (laughs) Right. And that's fair. That's fair for your journey to say, like, I want to try it the natural way. And I felt like at that point, we'd already been trying everything natural for two years. I wanted to get the further testing done. Again, having gone through what I've gone through in my own experience, I would have recommended starting that process way sooner. Like I would have done all those tests a year into trying or nine months into trying rather than two years into trying. But there, I'll, when I share my personal story, I'll share why we waited so long for those tests. But anyway, at that point, we were already about two and a half years in that we were doing those tests. And so I felt like for the first time I had reasons for our infertility And I wanted to now do something about that versus just jumping into the next thing and kind of forcing the process. Again, I felt like we had a good chance of getting pregnant naturally. We just needed to address the underlying issues. Um, So again, I wouldn't have recommended waiting that long. And if, if we really had felt like IVF was the only choice for us, I absolutely would have done it. So I'm not against it. Yeah, yeah. We just yeah. weren't at that point. And, for you guys, yeah. And again, I'm not a big medication person. And so the idea of taking so many medications and altering so many of my body's own processes for me just was, I wasn't ready for that. But yeah. yes, I definitely think it's, I, I love that it's an option for couples for whom it's one of their only pathways or their only quick pathway, right? Because it was another year after that appointment before, basically almost a year before we got pregnant. So yeah. um, I, I, a lot of people don't have that time or don't want to wait that amount of time. So again, yeah. it's nice that those options exist for yeah. people who just, they just want to get they're tired of waiting. I yes. get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> no and if it's like a conscious choice, like it's like if you know both sides and you know the situation, you know all the details and make your choice and what's best for you and your family. And Or there's genetic great. conditions that IVF in vitro fertilization can help you circumvent. 
So if you have genetic concerns, you can look at the genetic health of the embryos and you can implant healthy embryos. So that's really helpful for making sure you carry a healthy baby to term. Um, There's women who suffer from ectopic pregnancies where IVF can greatly reduce the risk of that because they're actually implanting the embryo in your uterus. So if it's getting stuck in your tubes, IVF can really help with that. So there's just a lot of reasons why IVF is beneficial. And we just, for us, we weren't at the place where we thought it was the only option available. And we wanted just to, now that we really knew what we were fighting against, we wanted to try naturally. So anyway, I'm just saying all that because I don't want anybody to feel like I'm hurt. Because I didn't want IVF doesn't mean it's because I think it's bad. That's just not at all the feeling associated with it. Right, 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 right. Just for your journey and your story, and right. it worked out. Yeah, it, it worked out. Yep, and yep. But everyone do what has to work for your story. And exactly. It, yep. No shame in any game here. Just exactly. Bring beautiful babies to the world, and right, and then we can love them. Made so. with love and a little bit of science. I love, love that. and science. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Anyway, well, so this was my yeah. overview. It went a little bit longer than I had anticipated, but hopefully that covers all the bases of um, women's health, hormonal health and fertility health in enough of of a like big picture way that you feel equipped to take whatever steps you need to take next regardless of where you're at in your journey yeah well thank you again eleni for all of that brilliant knowledge and i just look at you and think your brain is so big inside of that <laughs> little head of yours i'm like so many wrinkles like i can't remember all you're saying i'll have to go back and listen to it so that's amazing so thank you for all your research you and you know your journey though it's been a hard one has really given you an insight and an understanding for the whole situation for others so um i'm thankful for that can i say that Uh, yeah i'm thankful for it okay yeah yeah Yeah, so absolutely oh well thanks for your info and for our listeners go be renegades go be renegades thank you for listening to the renegade nutrition podcast please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades! Go be renegades!